How do you do, neighbor? It's Bree and Spirits time once again. The boys have gathered around, and they're ready for you. So join in, make comments, and study with the guys as they try to study as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. Now, here's the guys. Welcome back to another episode of Berean Spirits here on this Thursday morning, a little bit chilly and snowy up in Kansas City, where we have Richard Dodson with the Kearney Church of Christ. Richard, how you doing, man? Oh, you know, it may be snowing up here, but it, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, uh, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, and they're going to win. We're, 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 we're getting our Super Bowl parade. You know, we're practicing getting that ready. And, and, uh, it, it's just, it's just, it's a good place. We're in a, we're in a good spot. We're in a good place. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, there you go. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Yeah. <laughs> That's coming from a Tennessee fan. Yeah. Right. There you go. <laughs> In my oh, homes, man. in my homes, we trust. <laughs> oh boy, well, I trust in the Lord. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I got to go with Josh on this one. Josh Thornhill with the Brookmead Church of Christ over in Johnson City, Tennessee. How you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good. My back is a lot better. Oh yeah, from carrying all that heavy load. Oh yeah, yeah. I threw my back out early last week and oh, did you healed up pretty well? So. Okay, what heavy load are you talking about? He, he, I, he, go ahead, Josh. What heavy load? I don't even know. Yeah, he, he went to pick up his Bible and he couldn't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the word of God was indeed heavy. That's right, heavy on your conscience. Yeah, yeah. Well, my name is Chris Peltz. I'm the evangelist with the Southside Church of Christ here in Springfield, Missouri. And today we are going to be talking about how to treat a fallen brother. But before we get into that, if you have any comments or questions on the this particular subject or something you want us to cover later down the road, not only can you leave a comment if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, but you can also shoot us an email at reinspirits at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think about the program as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, as we go along, you got something you want to contribute to the uh, conversation, go ahead and leave a comment. We always appreciate that. If nothing else, let us know where you're listening from. We love hearing that as well. So a couple of weeks, guys, you guys talked about why people sin, why uh, people fall away. And, uh, and so a little bit of a follow-up to that is, you know, how, how do we treat them? What, what are we supposed to do with a brother who has fallen away? And there, there's a couple of things that I think are probably a little bit more obvious than others. For example, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, if a brother is caught up in a trespass, you who are spiritual, you know, restore such a one, right? And so, you know, we're to go to them, we're to talk to them, and we're going to try to uh to get them to repent i mean that's that's the initial thought i mean that's what uh, the the first thing that probably comes to a lot of people's mind besides prayer and and there's a few other passages matthew chapter 18 kind of goes through a process as well when one has fallen away when especially when there is a a sin that is specifically against uh um you uh, you know, as an individual, but uh, we'll get into all of that as we uh, go through our program today. But there is one thing that I, I want to start off with, and you know, because basically what we're getting into is discipline, and discipline, which is a word that comes from the word disciple, right? To be a disciple is to be disciplined. Discipline is something that we engage in just from learning, from reading, from studying. You know, that, that is a form of discipline. And I want to kind of squash the notion, first and foremost, 
that the idea of church discipline and withdrawal is a last resort because that that's not true. It certainly isn't the first thing that we engage in. But as we will see when we look at the scriptures, when we go through the process of how we treat those who have fallen away, it's not a last, it's not, you know, oh, we, well, all right, now that we've done that, everything is over and done. There is a continual process that really takes place uh, that I think we will see as we look at the scriptures that deal with this particular subject of how to treat one who has fallen away. So with that said, Brother Josh, you want to jump in with some initial thoughts? Uh, yes, um, and I want to, I guess, begin just by noting that I think we all recognize that this is a really difficult part of being a, a child of God or a disciple of Jesus. Um, and we're not trying to, you know, just, you know, undermine the difficulty of it um there's a lot of challenges that this brings um especially you know the closer you get to somebody uh the harder things like this are going to be uh, and we we understand that we appreciate that but at the same time the scripture does give us instruction um and, and when you look at our society today a lot of the issues that we experience are a result of the fact that we don't do things God's way. You look at the family breakdown and all the problems in our society that result from this, the breakdown of the family as God intended it. It's because we're not doing it God's way. And when we do things God's way, it works. Uh, and, and as far as, you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ, when they, they turn away from the Lord, um, we have obligations towards them and they're not pleasant. They're not easy, but we still have obligation towards them. And I guess I would begin um, by noting what Paul states in second Corinthians chapter three, or excuse me, second Thessalonians chapter three, uh, where he specifically tells us to keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life there in verse six uh, in verse 14. He says, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Uh, but then he emphasizes in verse 15, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Yeah, I think the first thing we need to recognize is even if they do fall away, they're not an enemy. They are still our brother in Christ or sister in Christ. And we need to treat them as such. And we need to remember that they are a brother and sister in Christ. And that needs to be the motivation behind what it is that we are doing uh, is to gain our brother. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 18 when he talks about going to your brother who has sinned. He says, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. That's the goal. That's really what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, we are the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to remember that that's the basis of our relationship in all that we're going to discuss here. And so we're trying to uh, to do what God says when our brother or sister has, has fallen away. Yeah. And it's amazing. I think a lot of people miss just how much this is actually talked about in Scripture, not only throughout Paul's writing, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Jude talks about it. Um, we've got, uh, you know, uh, you know, Peter refers to uh, brethren who willfully forget in Second Peter chapter, chapter three. You know, the Hebrew writer uh, talks about you know those who have who have fallen away and counted the blood uh, as a common thing. Hebrews chapter ten, and I, I mean, just one passage after another really goes through as, as Jesus talked about it, as you pointed out from Matthew chapter 18. Uh, and, and even in, in Acts chapter nine, the apostles understood that there was a necessity to maintain a purity of the local church when, when they thought that Saul of Tarsus was trying to infiltrate the church, you know, and they, they took that responsibility very seriously and so, you know, there, throughout the scriptures, this is something that is dealt with, that is talked about, um, you know, very seriously. You know, John and in, in Second John, and and I mean, just on and on, we we see 
this, uh, this being dealt with and talked about. But as you pointed out, first and foremost, remember they are brethren. They're not our enemy. And, and obviously prayer is one of the first things, right? I mean, we, we need to be praying always, you know, without ceasing, pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5, 7, uh, 5, 17, I think. So, um, I mean, just continually be engaged in having that mindset of prayer, but always doing things with a mindset or, and a view towards eternity, right? For the salvation of souls. And so going to them, admonishing them, trying to get them to repent in love and gentleness and meekness, that's one of the very first things that we need to understand, that this is what we're trying to do, and that's what the Bible tells us to do. And so, um, you know, it, it, there are things that go beyond that. First Corinthians chapter 5, and, and Richard, if you want to jump in at, at any point on, on this, but if you want to go to First Corinthians chapter 5, you know, here is specifically a brother who it says had his father's wife, right? So, you know, his stepmother more than likely. And the congregation as a whole was boasting about it. Even the Gentiles thought this was shameful, but the congregation as a whole was boasting about it. And Paul says that, that this man needs to be delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But then he gives the reason why that, you know, for the salvation of his soul, that his soul might be saved. And then he goes on in verses 9 through 11 to give some specifics as far as what we should and should not do. You know, Josh made a point that I'd kind of like to address, uh, and we can get, it kind of leads into what you're talking about, Chris, but you know, he was talking about this being a, a very difficult command. And, and I, I, you know, I, I really think we need to set that needs to be established because it, it can be hard. Yeah. But so is every command for somebody. There is no command in the Bible that's not hard for somebody. I mean, you know, there's some commands that are easier for me and some commands that are harder, and they're different for each individual. So, you know, let's just keep that in mind. You know, just because a command is hard does not negate the fact that it's a command. And and so, you know, uh, temptation and, and keeping commands is just part of it. Now, when we're talking about discipline, you know, when I was a young man in school, the teachers were allowed to give SWATs. Our industrial arts teachers are, uh, and I know not everybody agrees with this, but I do. I, I think it was a good thing. But our industrial arts teachers had uh, paddles made out of whatever material they were teaching our, uh, our wood shop teacher had a wood paddle. Our metal shop teacher had a metal paddle. And of course, you know, we had a, a drafting class and he didn't make anything out of material. So he just made one out of fiberglass, but every one of them, you know, they, they drilled holes in it. So it would cut down on wind resistance. And boy, let me tell you something. When somebody got swatted, they did it in front of the class. And there, there wasn't anybody that watched that that didn't think, boy, I, I don't want that happening to me. And so, you know, you would you would really be careful to mind your P's and Q's because there was discipline that was being enforced. And you know, we had discipline in school. I mean, we didn't uh, we didn't have problems that you see taking place today. Uh, th there was. Uh, you know, there was, there was certain rules that if you went against, I mean, you might even get expelled and that was, that was nothing unusual. And there is a passage that kind of goes along with this I'm talking about an elder first Timothy chapter five, and I'll start in verse 19. It says, do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And then he goes on and saying, for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. And so there is a, a purpose of discipline that uh, is good for the church. It's, it's a way, it's a means by which the Lord chastises us and uh, which Hebrews speaks of, and, and we can be uh, uh, disciplined 
and um, and it 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 causes us to fear to 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 mind our p's and q's like we did back in school and i can see that happening in first corinthians 5 with the one who had his father's wife that was a man who was persisting in sin and as chris stated uh the brethren there were uh they were caught up in it by their boasting and so discipline needed to be brought to bear so that not only the congregation would fear, but that uh, that one who is sinning uh, would be brought back to the Lord. And it uh, uh, doesn't mean that uh, anyone was any better than anybody else, because in that particular case, they weren't. But this is what the Lord ordered. There had to be a change in the attitude of the whole group, and especially the one who's in, you know, doing the sin, and so that is what the Apostle Paul, uh, by inspiration, ordered. And uh, from based on Second Corinthians, it, it appears like that it worked. Yeah. But uh, you know that's 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 discipline, and discipline is not a dirty word. Discipline is not a bad thing. Discipline is a very good thing. And uh, <clears throat> you know, like the Hebrew writer says, the Lord loves those whom He disciplines. You know, just like a father does his son. Unfortunately, we live in a day and an age where people think discipline's a bad thing, and they uh, and they feel guilty if they take part in it because they feel like they've sinned too. And uh, but, needless to say, uh, it's it's a command, and it has to be followed through. Yeah, Hebrews twelve is that passage you referenced. Yeah. It points out that you know it, it's not pleasant. But it is necessary, and especially if if it, it it demonstrates love, right? And it demonstrates the love that you have, and the love for their soul eternally. For when we talk about spiritual things, so, um, you know, so there there are certain things that we've mentioned, right? And I th I think you guys have have hit it. You know, it isn't something that we take lightly. Sometimes when we look at certain issues, such as discipline, and you know we kind of it's easy to take the approach you know just the facts ma'am right <laughs> you know just just lay out here's what the bible says and it it can sound and we can make it sound let me put it that way we can make it sound rather cold and um and uh, you know uh, not heartfelt um but as you guys point out this is this is something that it it's difficult but it ne it is necessary, and it is because of love and for the salvation of the soul. And so, with that said, what are some of the things that we are to do? Right, Josh alluded to, and I think we'll get back to Second Thessalonians three in just a moment. But you know, I brought up First Corinthians chapter five, and verses nine through eleven. He, he points out and he makes a distinction. Listen, we are not talking about those of the world. Right, we're not talking about those who are not Christians. We are talking about someone who is named a brother, and Paul makes that extremely clear in his writing. And sometimes that becomes, you know, uh, kind of uh, hid in some people's minds. They look at around us when, you know, when a church is engaged in some type of discipline with someone who's in sin, and they're like, well, wait, why are we treating him different than we treat everybody else in the world? Well, Paul says, that we're to do that by inspiration of King Jesus, he points out, you know, we're not talking about those of the world. We're talking about those who are named, you know, brethren. And if they engage, and he doesn't give an exhaustive list. It wasn't intended to be an exhaustive list, but he, he mentions several sins. And he, he says, do not keep company with them. No, not even to eat with such a one. And, and so this passage is very clear on you know, you know some of the steps that we are to take and the the measures that we are to go to in order to get our point across that that souls are at stake eternity uh, is is what is at stake and we desire the salvation of uh, you know of of your soul and so this is why we are taking the actions that we are taking even if that means we're not associating with you anymore and we won't sit down and eat with you 
anymore because this is, first of all, what God said, and because we care and, and love your soul. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Josh. You know, uh, to that point there in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, you do mention that it's not necessarily an exhaustive list, but I think it could be in the sense that he talks about any so-called brother if he is an immoral person. Yeah. Sin is immoral, and so if you're practicing sin, you are immoral. So, I mean, in that sense, I mean, I think it would apply to any sin that we might be uh, considering. Uh, to I guess just prove that it's not just you know the specific ones mentioned there, but um, <clears throat> and I think we need to step back and look at the purpose again. Uh, you know why is it that we're not associating with this brother? It says in verse five of the same chapter, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And I know. The natural questions that follow are like, well, it's not going to work. It doesn't work. Like, we've tried that, and, and they never come back. They just get offended and never come back. And I think that's true because we don't do it right. And, and to illustrate that, I heard the story of a, a man who had been withdrawn from by the church because of his sin, and his wife... Uh, took these things so seriously that she would cook dinner, take it to him, set his plate before him, and go eat in the other room. And he was restored pretty quickly because his own wife wouldn't eat dinner with him. And, you know, what that illustrates is why. Why does this work? Because there's a relationship there, and because of his sin, that relationship has been severed. And he wants to restore that relationship, and so he's going to return back to, to faithfulness. Um, and I'll illustrate this another way. Uh, if you're somebody that shows up as soon as the worship starts, maybe a minute late, and then as soon as the final amen is spoken, you're out the door, uh, and you don't know anybody, you don't get to know anybody, you don't really have any relationship with these people, if they were to withdraw from you for something, what are you missing out on? I don't know these people. I don't care anything about them. What what difference does that make to my life? I'll just go find somewhere else to to be a a little shadow and, and just sneak in and out. It it works when there is relationship, when we are the family that God calls us to be. And that's why I think we emphasize at the beginning that these are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to have that relationship. We have to have that closeness as brothers and sisters in Christ, which means we need to care for each other. And I think it also means we need to spend time with each other, even outside the assembly. Yeah, We need to go to lunch with each other. We need to spend time with each other. We need to get to know each other. We need to learn to love each other so that we can have relationships with each other, good, solid relationships with each other. And if my brethren need to withdraw from me because I'm in sin, I'm missing something. There's something that's changed that hurts me. And by the way, it ought to hurt those who are the one practicing that as well. Uh, and I know it does for many. Um, going back to that wife who wouldn't eat with her husband, you think that bothered her too? I'm sure it did. Uh, but what I think that illustrates is it's a physical representation of the spiritual reality. Because when you go off into sin, you're separating yourself from God. Your fellowship from God has been severed. And when your brethren recognize that you're no longer walking in the light, you're no longer walking in fellowship with the Lord, uh, we're going to remove our association with you to emphasize further that you're not right with the Lord and we want you to return. And when you do, we'll receive you. But at this point, you know, it's a physical representation of the fact that you've turned away from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I think there's a lot of things to be considered there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are there and there, there's a lot to this, right? There's a lot of intricacies that can go along with this. And, you know, there, there needs to be, study. There needs to be, you know, 
uh, encouragement, there needs to be admonishment, there needs to be rebuke, you know, all of these things that we go through when someone is in sin, trying to get them back. But ultimately, you know, there's going to have to be decisions and choices made on everyone's part. And and ultimately, the idea of withdrawal, the idea that we're that we're looking at, is in essence a second plan of salvation. Right? You you have the plan of salvation for those who have have never obeyed the gospel. That right? That need to put on Christ in the water grave of baptism. But then you have a plan of salvation that God has for uh, for those who have fallen away. And if we refuse to engage in, you know, church discipline, we refuse to engage in withdraw. It's no better than denying the need for baptism. It's no different. We're, we, we deny God's plan to bring them into relationship with him. And, and so that's, that's the importance of this. That's the, the parallel of this that, you know, we can't just look at this and say, well, I'm going to do it another way. Right. I mean, that's why we have all these denominational churches around us. They've decided they're going to do things another way and 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 you know set aside God's plan that He has set forth in the in the inspired text. And so, you know, we're we're no different or better than you know those who've created their man-made religions if we deny the things that we're talking about uh in these texts. And and to show that. Second Thessalonians that you mentioned earlier, chapter chapter three, it's entering verse six, and I don't know if you have that text, Josh. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter three and verse six, just exactly. Notice what exactly does that say? And I have a point that I want to make with this. He says, "We commend you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us." Okay. So again, he points out brother, right, in that particular text, and he and not to associate with them if they continue in sin. So that's instruction. That's that is a command that God has given to us. Now, Josh, if you would read verse fourteen. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person. Do not associate with him, so that he will be put to shame. Yeah, yeah. Think about someone who says verse six doesn't work. Someone who says, you know what, verse six, that I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try and do it another way. Well, verse 14 says, you know, not only is is the the brother who is initially the one under consideration uh, that we have instruction to do this. Verse 14 says, anyone who refuses to do that, this is what we're to do with them, right? Because chapter verse six is instruction in this letter. And if someone refuses that, yeah, that's how serious I think God looks at this, and, and, he, and he, he knows his plan will work. Does that mean every person who is withdrawn from is going to repent and come back? No, just as every person who hears the gospel and the plan of salvation that includes baptism isn't going to obey the gospel. But those who are sincere and honest and desire salvation for their own soul and to seek God first, it'll work. Just as the original plan worked, this plan works as well because it's not only their soul that's at stake, it's ours. And, and that's something sometimes I think that we miss is the fact that our soul, you know, is, is uh, at stake as well and whether or not we're going to put God first and follow through with, with his plan and his desire. But then as it goes on, remember they are brethren, right? This isn't an enemy. This is a brother and, you know, continued prayers to be offered, admonishment to be offered, uh, I, I think is something that uh, is to take note. I think there's uh, another side of this also that we haven't really touched about, but we each one of us has a responsibility to uh, look to and maintain the purity of the bride of Christ. And I'm talking about the church. And in 1 Corinthians 5, Chris, the passage you brought up, you know, he talks about that. He said that, uh, do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And what he's referring to is the sin and how sin spreads like yeast and dough. You put a little yeast and dough and you knead it and it'll 
it'll take care of the whole dough. And, and uh, we got a, a fruit bin in our kitchen. And I bet that's what I'm going to describe happens to a lot of people. But, uh, you know, when we buy fruit, sometimes we'll buy a bag of apples, for instance. And when I get the bag, I'll go through the apples. And every once in a while, I'll see a rotten apple. And I'll look at the apples that were around it. And sometimes that rottenness had started to spread. And I'll have to throw that apple away. But I'll take those apples that it was around and I'll wash them and cleanse them, you know, to wipe them down to keep that, you know, thing, the chemicals that was making that apple go bad away from the good apple before I put it back up in the bin. But uh, it's based on the principle that one bad apple will spoil the whole bunch. And I think everybody understands that. And that's the same exact principle as a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So we're talking about sin in the church and how if sin goes unchecked, it will just, as, as a COVID virus, it will spread to everybody. And so that needs to be remedied. Now, in that chapter, there's two passages that talk about what needs to be done. In verse 2, he says, let him who has done this be removed from among you. And then, uh, let's see, later on, he uh, uh, says in verse 13, the last verse, purge the evil person from among you. So this discipline of removing an unrepentant evildoer from the presence of those who, uh, uh, of the church, uh, that's done as a means of protecting the faithfulness of everybody else. And I don't think we can make light of that because if we don't do that, then, you know, I mean, why do we stay home when we're sick? Do we go to church when we're sick? No, we don't. We stay home because we don't want to get our bail sick. We understand that virus is spread and, and we could be getting our brethren sick. So when we're sick, we stay home. Well, it's the same principle. Sin, sin unchecked will lead others to sin. And so, you know, you, you'll sear people's conscience. And so that's why, that's why this person has to be purged from the group. Uh, that's one of the reasons it's not just for, yeah, there you go, Josh. Uh, it's not just for the sinner, the unrepentant sinner, but it's also for the good of the church. Go ahead, Josh. Um, I, I had a conversation several years ago with a good fella friend of mine. Uh, we were talking about the prodigal son in Luke 15, and he was asking me, you know, why he came home. And, you know, I'm spouting off all these answers, and it's a very simple little phrase there at the end of Luke 15 and verse 16 uh, that hits at the core of why the prodigal son came home. We could say, well, there was a famine in the land, you know, he ran out of money, blah, blah, blah. Uh, no one gave him anything is what the text tells us. No one gave him anything. Why did he come home? Because there was nobody to enable him in his continued lifestyle. And I think that that's part of the issue. You know, there's... Uh, yeah. I heard... Uh, one preacher talked about this verse as well, and, and he talked about two families that he knew, and one would, um, one had, or both of them had a, a child that, that went astray, and one of them just continued on as if nothing had happened. And the other, they did that very thing that we've been talking about, and that brother was restored fairly quickly. Uh, the other one wasn't. And I think part of the issue is if you're going to let people have their cake and eat it too, uh, they're more likely to enjoy the the far country and to stay in the far country. Uh, if there were people that were going to enable the the prodigal son and to uh, feed him and to care for him and to 
keep him comfortable in the far country, he'd have no reason to return. But, yeah. you know, when they didn't give him anything, where else can he go but home? And I think that's the, the point that we're trying to, uh, to make here is we want to give them every reason we can to come home. Yeah. And, and I guess it's, it's like you watch somebody, you know, just throwing their life away and you just kind of sit back and you, you tearfully watch them just, and you kind of want them to come to the end of themselves in some way mm-hmm. and so that they can come home. And I think that's important. That That's something to, to keep in mind. Um, we do have a responsibility. And as um, Richard pointed out, we have a responsibility to keep ourselves and the church pure. Mm-hmm. And part of that is maintaining that proper relationship that we've been discussing. Um, And again, I know it can be hard. I know it can be difficult, but when we do things God's way, it works. Yeah. And there, there's two things that I want to point out that you guys have mentioned, especially you, Josh, you know, in, in these relationships, right? We need to have relationships with one another. We are a household of God, a family of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should treat one another that way. But sometimes, you know, when it it is a blood relative, when it is a a child or a brother or sister, literally a a blood relative, um, sometimes brethren try to make uh, exceptions with this. And, And we can get into some of the reasons why. But first of all, I want to point out, you know, discipline isn't something that is new to the New Testament. We can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 13. And in Deuteronomy 13, in the first six verses, he talks about a a dreamer of dreams, um, you know, who or or you know, a prophet or a dreamer of dreams. And what they say comes to pass. And he, he goes on, you know, unlike Deuteronomy 18, where a prophet prophesies and it doesn't come to pass, you know their false teacher, put them to death. Well, in chapter 13, what they say comes to pass. And then he says, well, there's a test. Are they trying to get you to follow other gods? Are they trying to get you to go after you know, other gods or, or dismiss or not follow after the commandments, the word of God? And in verse 6, he points out that he, it doesn't matter if this is you know, a, a relative, a son, a daughter, a wife, a, a someone who is as close to you as your own soul. You're to be the first one to take action on this. And so that that was an Old Testament principle. And when we get to the New Testament, when we look at 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, we look at 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6 and 14. Is anyone named a brother? Right? Who does that exclude? Well, those of the world. Someone named a sister. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know what I mean. Right? You know what he means. But anyone named a brother, right? A brethren, someone who is who is in that household of God. This is what we're talking about. Now we try to make excuses. Well, you know, um, you know, how can I reach them if I don't associate with them? Well, the point is, first of all, when when we don't associate with them, that that is showing them and sh- the message that listen, we love you enough, as painful as this is to want you back, you know, but we're going to do it God's way because that's what you need to do is return to God and, and do things his way. And, you know, some look at that, well, then I'll never, you know, see my grandchildren or, you know, I won't be able to have influence on my grandchildren. Well, they're, listen, this is their doing, not ours, right? They're the ones who have sinned and put us in this situation. This is their fault, not ours and not God's. This is their choice. This is what they are doing. And, and, and we start making excuses to set aside God's command and God's word. And all we're doing, as you pointed out, Josh, you know, from, uh, from Luke 15, the prodigal son is enable them, 
to continue in sin and uh, and and not have to make any change in order to get that relationship back. And that's where we fall short too often. I don't know if you remember that or not, but you're the one who actually told me that about Luke 15 there. Well, I, I, I remember making that point several times, but yeah, that's, it's, uh, you know, when we don't give them anything, yeah. you know, that, that is, you know, th- they need it. They need something and they got to go to where they can get it. I have a question I'd like for you guys to consider. I have an answer. And uh, it's something that uh, I've heard many times in my Christian life. But uh, uh, an erring brother quits coming to church. And a bro- somebody or some other, you know, the, the point is brought up before the church. They need to be withdrawn from. And then other people say there's no reason to withdraw from them because they've already withdrawn themselves. What do you think about that? I, I I think they're dismissing their responsibility, right? Maybe they did withdraw. I mean, listen, when we sin, we're withdrawing from God. But does that mean, oh, well, you know, God's not going <laughs> to, you know, uh, do anything about it? Um, you know, so they may do that, you know, but that doesn't negate our responsibility as well. And, and sometimes as a congregation, you know, sometimes we look at this and say, well, they were never withdrawn from, from a church, so I don't have to withdraw from them. When you look at these passages, you know, like 2 Thessalonians 3, um, you know, the, the responsibility is put on first and foremost the individual, um, even more so than the local congregation as a whole. Right, because and not only that. First of all, even if the congregation makes some kind of statement, it's nullified if the entire congregation does not engage in that action. And so, each individual has a responsibility first and foremost. That's what I would say to that. Mm-hmm. Josh, yeah, I mean, uh, there is something to be said. I mean, if they're they're walking in sin and they choose to turn away, I mean, that doesn't change our obligation. I mean, if they choose to withdraw themselves from us, uh, that doesn't change these obligations. There's still a brother who's walking disorderly. And, and the same things, the same thing applies. Um, and, and again, I, I agree with what Chris says. It's just an excuse on our part not to do what God tells us to do. <clears throat> okay, another question is, uh, and I've heard this said, a man is teaching false, falsely. And um, others say, well, we're not going to withdraw from him because that's, he just, he's just teaching his opinion. What would you think of that? I'll let you go first, Josh, and then I'll jump in. Um, sorry, I was kind of reading the comments here. So if I understand correctly, you say someone's teaching error and then other people say that it's merely opinion. Yes. Um, it's his, it's his opinion on what the scriptures teach. Um, if it's error, it's error. I mean, second John nine is very clear. If they transgress and do not abide in the doctrine of Christ, they don't have God. I mean, it's error. Um, and it, it ought to be treated as false doctrine, I think. Yeah, and why are we allowing someone to simply stand up and and teach opinion? Right? I mean that you know, preach the word in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. As he goes on, it's opinion, you know, that gets people in trouble and why they turn aside to fables and and um, superstitions and they do not adhere to sound doctrine. There in in Second Timothy chapter four. And so, first of all, that that shouldn't be the case. And I would go back to Second Thessalonians three. You know, if someone's walking disorderly, right? If they're preaching opinion rather than than teaching truth, you know, that's disorder. That, that that's the first thing. And then verse fourteen, you know, if if we don't follow through with what verse six says, then whoever is going to abide in God's word will withdraw from those who refuse. 
I mean, that just looking at the scriptures and what they teach. Now, there's again, you know, we can say that, you know, there's going to be a process. There needs to be teaching, there needs to be encouraging, admonishing. But ultimately, we need to come to the conclusion that, you know, we can't just stand by and let someone um, proclaim an opinion uh, as though it is truth uh, and do nothing about it. Right. I'm just I'm just reiterating some of the things I've heard. Sure. And arguments people have made. I'm I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I've yeah. always I have always taken a stance against uh, false teaching. Uh, but there have been those who have and I've heard I've heard brethren teach preachers that as long as someone uses the Bible to justify their belief, it's not false teaching. And uh they can be fellowshipped. And uh that's in the church today. I've, I know uh, if they're watching this show or if they see a copy of this show, they know who they are because I've heard them say it. And, uh, of course, my my counterpoint to them was they'd have to fellowship a homosexual. And they, their point was that no homosexual can use the Bible to justify their belief. And so I, I found it can. online. <laughs> they, I, yeah. I showed it to them. But uh, there are those. There are gospel preachers, and that's what I want to warn those who are listening. There are gospel preachers who are out there, and they will rest the scriptures in order to change the meaning of what we're talking about today. And you're going to have to be on guard for that. You're going to have to be ready for that. That's your responsibility to take that battle. And uh, unfortunately, uh, th this is no different than Paul's day. There was false apostles, uh, false preachers during his time. And he had to deal with them. And likewise, we have to deal with that as well. So uh, just, just be, don't be surprised when these points are brought up because they're out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we got some points here. Uh, Thomas Thornhill, when I was talking about, uh, withdrawing from someone who has already left the church says that is a cop-out. <laughs> right. uh, he, he made mm -hmm. that in reference to the church, not withdrawing from someone who's already withdrawn themselves, so to speak. Yeah. But he goes on, he says that, uh, um, that will not make the brethren stronger. One of the purposes of discipline is to teach others. There are consequences to behavior. And I agree with that. Uh, Debbie Kruger Great lesson. Very rarely have I heard this explained so well. Very rarely will family withdraw from their family. I agree with your comments. You're right, Debbie. You're exactly right. And uh, Thomas Thornhill, our society knows this, and our failure society includes their failure to discipline or to discipline swiftly. Um, and listen, um, to go back to what Debbie said, uh, these words today were not said with a heavy heart. And I'm not going to say who, but I know of two of us who have had to take action with family members. And it hurts. Boy, let me tell you something. It hurts. There's nothing that compares to that on this earth. <sighs> and prayers are said every single day. With every single prayer, it's on your mind. But that doesn't change the truth. And in the, in the end of the day, um, Jesus has to come first in our lives. And, and so we have to make a decision on this. Uh, you know, is Jesus coming first or is family members coming first? Or in some people's cases, it's not family members. It may be a very good friend, a very good preacher friend. You know, um, you can't put anyone ahead of the Lord. And so that's, that's what it comes down to. You're going to have to look at this issue and, and make a decision on what the Bible teaches and then make a determination, you know, am I going to obey God or am I going to honor man? Now, of course, the Pharisees, you know, they, some of them believed in Jesus, but they did not profess that because they were fearful they would be kicked out of the synagogue. Uh, and likewise, this truth that we spoke today, there are those who suppress this truth because they are fearful of what might happen to them in their, their realm of influence. 
Um, I would rather be totally alone and have Jesus than to have everybody and not have Jesus. Yeah. Is that your last thoughts, Richard? Do you have any more you want to no, add? No, no, that'll be my last. Josh, your last thoughts, brother? Um, I know the world, you know, if they were to hear this, they just think this is really, really harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, and from a worldly standpoint, maybe so. But you know, when we understand the scriptural, the spiritual uh, side behind this, it, it's vitally important that we uh, we recognize the the what the scripture says about this. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, we cannot continue on as if there's nothing wrong. And I've I've experienced that myself in in you know some of the uh, the people that I've been associated with you know they they refuse to to hear and 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 repent of sin and it's like I can't just pretend like there's nothing wrong I, I just can't do that and <clears throat> it's hard you know it's not easy but you know, if we want to uh, walk in the light as He is in the light and have fellowship with God and His people then. And we've got to create those boundaries where God has created them and respect them and, and do what God says in order to keep ourselves and the church pure. Amen. Yep. All right. Well, guys, I appreciate the study and the thoughts, uh, the comments that were made from uh, our listeners. We appreciate that as well. Shoot us an email. Bereanspirits at gmail.com is our email address. You can, uh, contact us through that of course be sure and share out the program as well if you want to listen later you can of course just find us on the facebook and the youtube as well but also uh these episodes uh we do our best richard works hard at making sure that they get put up on spotify uh for podcast listeners as well and so you can uh, follow us on the podcast uh on spotify and what else? Google, I think. Google, Google Podcasts. Yep, Google Podcasts and Spotify, so you can find us there as well. We do appreciate everybody who tunes in and listens, and be sure and uh, and set your uh, alarms for next Thursday. We'll, Lord willing, we'll be back with another episode of Berean Spirits. Until next time, remember to search the Scriptures with Berean Spirits. Well, folks, that's all for today. Don't worry. Lord willing, the guys will be back next week for another Bible study on Berean spirits. Until then, let the guys hear from you. Drop them some email at bereanspirits at gmail.com. They'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep studying that Bible.